It's White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. Drive in the air, deep to right, it is gone! This is a presentation of the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Welcome in to White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. This is ESPN 1000. Just like the big voice guy said, 312-332-3776. That's the phone number here on the show. Lots to talk about on this week's edition of White Sox Weekly and a lot of people to hear from on this week's show as well. Jack McGrath's our producer on the other side of the glass. Hi, Jack. How you doing, my man? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm I'm well. I'm good. It is nice to see the... Uh, I think the last time we did this show, it was um, pouring rain, which then quickly over the course of the afternoon turned to freezing droplets of death because that's when the whole cold... Like the negative 15 thing was coming through. Yeah. This better. is better than that. Oh, this is so much better. And this I heard is, 50s maybe by next week. I I'm excited. Heard I'm ready for the weather to turn. That's Baseball optimistic. season is coming soon. I, I, too, am optimistic about those things, the warming of the weather and the coming of the baseball and the shushing and the plotsing and everything else. Um, we had a lot of, of headlines to do, lots of uh, little things here, uh, and a lot of big things, too. The White Sox have a new television voice. The Baseball Hall of Fame has new members. Uh, the White Sox have an opening day starter and... That man has more and more trade rumors swirling around him. Uh, There are brand new prospects on a top 100 list, and a good number of them are White Sox. I I use, and we've talked about this quite a bit here, this is kind of prospect season-ish, sort of. And not only do you get a lot of trade rumors coming around at this point in the offseason, but you hear prospects kind of mentioned in those trade rumors and the different trades that publish prospect lists, whether it's MLB Pipeline or Fangraphs or Baseball America or Baseball Prospectus or you know all these different places, they kind of file their top 100 or top 101 or top 111. And, and this is kind of the, um, the, the time of year for those things. I like diving into those quite a bit. I, I like the prospect part of baseball. I really like the talent valuation thing. I, I think it's a very interesting way that the that teams get built. And there's a lot of secret sauce that's behind the curtain. Uh, is that where you keep secret sauce behind a curtain? I guess you would keep it in a fridge behind it. Like I imagine a, it's in a fridge, in a closed-off secret team refrigerator somewhere in the in the luxury deck. That would make sense. Mr. Krabs and SpongeBob used to keep the secret formula in a bottle. I'm pretty sure on his desk. News so. to me, but good to know. Exactly. I missed. I'm I'm not of the SpongeBob era, but now I'm getting to the point where. You go, and I'm not joking, you go into clubhouses, mm-hmm. and you'll see, like, relievers or whoever it is, and they're pulling SpongeBob SquarePants socks up to go yeah. do their warm-ups, and you think, my God, you are so much younger than I am. That was I the cartoon so old. of the younger generation, no, no of the of the Gen, Gen Z generation and younger millennials. Older generations had Looney Tunes, but we had SpongeBob that, instead. My entire knowledge of classical music is based on the fact that I watched Wile E. Coyote and the rest mm. of Looney Tunes yep. from, from morning to night on Saturdays. Um, so we had a lot of other headlines to get to and prospect, prospect lists we'll get to and everything like that. But let's start here. Uh, and this is big news. This is huge stuff. This is going to be, in large part, um, a companion to how you consume your 2024 and well beyond White Sox seasons. You know, if you're listening to this show, that you've got Len Casper and Darren Jackson on your radio call here on ESPN 1000. But baseball, as much as any sport, is a visual medium. And the television voice, the new television voice of the White Sox has been named. John Triffin 
is the new guy in for uh, replacing Jason Vanetti after a good long run here with the White Sox. And John's going to take over on the TV side with Steve Stone. John did the media car wash here after getting the job and spoke with our morning show, uh, Cap and Jay Hood. Uh, Cap was out. Courtney Cronin was in. We'll play that for interview for you in just a little bit here on the show. But congratulations to John. He is a, a well-practiced broadcaster, very polished guy, has a lot of energy in the call, has mostly done uh, college basketball, college football, some KBO stuff, some Korean baseball organization stuff. Um, I believe during the pandemic, he's got a good long TV background having broadcast as a correspondent for Good Morning America early in his career, uh, a native New Yorker coming here to Chicago, spreading his legs and getting the um, getting the, the, the White Sox TV job. I, I wanted to say just off the top here, and I listen, the motto of White Sox Weekly is this is your show. I don't like to take a whole lot of time talking uh, about me unless the story pertains to something that's going on in baseball. But I did want to just take a minute here to say thanks. Like I Thank you. I saw it on Twitter and in other places in social media, and I just I appreciate the support that a lot of White Sox fans offered in this whole thing. Um, that's what I'm looking to do in my life. That's where I'm. That's where I've got my sights aimed. I don't think it's it's out of line or out of pocket to say it. That's how this industry works. John's going to be absolutely fantastic. I'm really looking forward to meeting him. But more than anything else, I just wanted to say thank you. The response was was. Um, heartfelt on on my side of things and i'm really looking forward to being part of a terrific broadcast on the radio side with len and dj and everything we do here at espn 1000 so if you're driving around and it is unsafe to watch a baseball game while you're driving and it is don't do it put us on espn 1000 consume your baseball that way let us be your soundtrack of the summer and when you're at the house you can flip back and forth although there is and this is no shot to anybody i'm just saying we're on the radio side of things you got the mlb.tv app you hit the button then you can do the whole thing it's, but it's a i'm really looking forward to the season john's gonna be great and you'll hear from him in just a little bit uh here on the show i i did i'm all jacked up about the top 100 lists the top 100 prospect list so i figure that's a good place to start we'll get into the hall of fame and everything else um over the next i don't know 40 minutes or so but the top 100 on MLB Pipeline is out. And often throughout the course of the season, unless I kind of note it specifically, I go off the MLB Pipeline lists. I, listen, love fan graphs and love baseball prospectus and have been subscribers to both for a very long time. But some of that stuff is behind a paywall. Good journalism and good baseball writing is something you should pay for if you've got the means. But I know not everybody subscribes to that. So the ability for anybody to just kind of go to MLB.com or MLBPipeline.com and kind of have that top 100 list means to me it's kind of the, the one that I'm going to use as the, the thumbnail version, right? Although we are going to, in this segment here, talk about the Fangraphs write-up of the White Sox, a couple of the White Sox prospects, and their system overall. But the new top 100 is out, and the White Sox have a top 10 dude. Colson Montgomery has jumped up the rankings here over the last three or four prospect ranking seasons and now become the number nine prospect in all of baseball, according to MLB Pipeline. And, and depending on where you go, he's going to be a top. I don't think anybody has him lower than top 18. I think that's baseball prospectus, if memory serves. You're looking at a top 15 to top 10 guy. You are also looking in Colson Montgomery as one of the top shortstop prospects in all of baseball. 
that comes with a little bit of a caveat still. Colson has kind of overcome in this rise through the prospect rankings some injuries to the lower back that affected his ability to A, be on the field at the start of last season, and B, maybe be as comfortable as you'd like him to be while playing shortstop down there at Double A Birmingham. So that, plus an overall frame that goes like 6'3", 205, and from what I've heard, he's put on a little bit of weight here over the last... I mean, you're going to. He's turning, what is he, 21, going on 22 late in the season, something like that. I mean, this is the time, I'm told, I didn't go through it myself, where you actually put on muscle and, and become a man. You, you get your man strength. I'm still, at whatever age I am, doesn't matter, still waiting for that, still hoping. And the fact that I have a, a one-and-a-half-year-old daughter now is not, like, I don't, I don't see the gym in my future, okay? Like, I just, I think for me, it's mostly going to the ballpark, coming home, getting dinner ready, and then doing it all again the next day. But good for Colson Montgomery in that the major league, you know, the weight chain, all this kind of stuff, it's, it seems to have landed, and that's going to help him. You know, you see this all the time with young prospects, guys who are playing much younger than the average age at their league. You get your, you get your grown man strength. You get your home run power. A lot of those prospects, a lot of prospects who carry like a bat-to-ball skill set as their carrying card, as their calling card, I should say, they now become, in a lot of cases, guys who, oh, look, well, there, there's the power that we thought you could add onto that frame. There's that bat-to-ball ability um, that's becoming, you know, that's taking line drives and turning them into home runs. That's just kind of naturally accessing some of that power. And some guys do that just with the levers that exist, right? You think of a guy like um, uh, Chris Bryant, for example, a guy that this town knows well and a guy that's playing for the Rockies and hopefully to get healthy. He goes 6'6", dreamy blue eyes, not a whole ton of weight to him, but the levers and the swing he had could just, at his height, obviously power balls out of ballparks. You think of Tim Anderson a little bit that way, too. Not a huge I'm talking about you know, different ends of the height spectrum. Not a huge build, but when Tim was going well, that flick of the wrist, that quick hand, he could access some power. There are different ways to get to that part of the game. I'll be really interested to see. I'm looking forward to watching a lot of Colson Montgomery at bats at what I assume is AAA Birmingham to start the year and kind of seeing how he's begun to access that power. On the other side of the Colson Montgomery conversation, however is that ability to stick at short, right? Can, at 6'3 and 205, 21 years old, can you play shortstop at a high level? The belief by the White Sox organization has been since the moment they drafted him as kind of a two-sport prospect. He's one of the best high school basketball players in Indiana, a place where if you are at all a good high school basketball player, you're a damn good high school basketball player. This is a guy that's got a lot of athleticism and getting that to play at shortstop in double A and in triple A is really big. There were a lot of errors for Colson Montgomery last season at uh, at high A and double A. And I'm really interested to see what errors he's able to clean up because errors aren't in and of, of themselves a great indication of whether a guy can play a good shortstop. They're just, they're not. They are things to look for, Right. You'll often hear scouts kind of talk about, well, the errors come on some routine ground balls where he's got time. I'm not talking about Colson. I'm just talking about shortstop prospects in general, uh, where he's got time to set his feet and throw, and he's just not thinking the game fast enough or just not letting it slow down for him. Or You, know, you get the scout talk all, this, all over the place. I want, I hope, for Colson, 
that all of that slows down and that the routine plays are buried or just kind of put away here so we can kind of see what the range is, kind of see what the overall um, flexibility at that position is. Anyway, for the rest of the top 100, names you've heard of populate the top of the list, of course. Jackson Holiday, Matt Holiday's kid, he's the number one prospect in all of baseball, a shortstop, second base, and maybe even outfield prospect, the Orioles and everybody else feel like he can play all over the place. Jackson Churio of the Brewers is number two. Paul Skeens, who had that epic college baseball season from LSU, he's number three. Junior Caminero of the Tampa Bay Rays. Evan Carter, who we saw last season make a huge impact for the World Series winning Rangers, is number five. Wyatt Langford for the Rangers is number six. Dylan Cruz, who went second in last year's draft to Paul Skeens, first ever time that two teammates went one-two at the top of the draft, he's number seven. Ethan Salas, who actually, I remember making, he got into the news and notes portion of a White Sox pre- and post-game show, pre-game show, several times last year, because as he's a 17-year-old playing double-A baseball as a catcher, that's bananas. Is I mean, it's absolutely crazy pants to be a 17-year-old catching at double-A. To be a 17-year-old at double-A is, at all is wild. And he's doing it playing one of the most demanding positions in baseball. East Boston, Ethan Salas uh, of the San Diego Padres at catcher is number eight. And then number nine, the White Sox own Colson Montgomery. you got to scroll down the list a little bit to get to the next White Sox prospect on the top 100 from MLB Pipeline. Noah Schultz, though... The six foot nine left-hander, who himself has thickened up a little bit, I'm told, over the last few months, is the 50th ranked prospect. And we mentioned on last week's show, I think, uh, Pipeline broke down by position the top 10, and Noah Schultz was the fourth rated left-handed pitcher on MLB Pipeline's list. Those are the two on MLB Pipeline for the White Sox, though on a lot of different spots, or I should say a lot of different uh, prospect ranking places, you'll find Brian Ramos on that list. And I wanted to shift over now from Pipeline to MLB uh, to Fangraphs and just kind of do a little bit more of a 10,000-foot view, I guess, on the White Sox system. Eric Longenhagen and Tess Taruskin are the two who wrote this up on Fangraphs. And I don't know Tess's work specifically, but I've listened to Eric Longenhagen on a lot of different prospects and on a lot of different podcasts about prospects. And I I like the way he kind of looks at the game. Um, I like the way he sources some of the prospect reports that he'll do. I just kind of get the way he talks about ball players, and it, it really kind of matches. And I'm not looking... Yeah, it's kind of like uh, uh, confirmation bias, right? I'm not necessarily looking for a guy whose opinions on players matches exactly what I see with my eyes. It just so happens that that matches up often enough where I kind of go, okay, I think we see the game the same way, and that's interesting. And I definitely learn a lot when I talk to him, uh, when I hear from him as well. So, Longenhagen and Tastaruskin on fan graphs have the top couple in the White Sox system just about the same way as everybody else, with Colson Montgomery at number one, in the Sox system, Noah Schultz at number two, and Brian Ramos at number three. Edgar Caro, Nick Nestrini, Jake Eater, Jacob Gonzalez, last year's first overall pick of the White Sox, Jonathan Cannon, a starting pitcher, Christian Mena, another starter, and Ryan Burroughs, a shortstop, are the top ten 
for the White Sox on Fangraphs. We'll get you know kind of into each one as we go here, but I wanted to read this because I-, I thought, and this has been going around White Sox Twitter a little bit, talked about in some places. Long and Hagen and Taruskin gave a bit of an overview on the system, so bear with me while I read you just a couple of sentences here. They write, while the White Sox farm system still isn't among the strongest in baseball, it's significantly deeper than it was a year ago, strengthened by several key acquisitions at last year's trade deadline, including Edgar Caro, Nick Nostrini, Jake Eater, and Kai Bush. That trend will likely continue if the Sox trade Dylan Cease. More on that later in the show. Chicago has many players with a potential for high-end impact. Colson Montgomery, Brian Ramos, Noah Schultz, maybe Eater, Jake Eater, if his velo comes back. As a lot of the top systems... Though all of those guys missed times, time due to injury in 23. New GM Chris Getz was promoted from within, so even though the org will likely change somewhat as it works to execute his vision for the club, expect more continuity here than typically accompanies a regime change. For instance, Getz told Eric Longenhagen at the GM meetings that the White Sox would likely alter their approach to international scouting which for the last many years has seen them save pool space to target Cuban players who hit the market late. For too long, the White Sox have tied one metaphorical hand behind their back by largely ignoring amateur Dominican players, and it seems like that will soon change. In the domestic draft, director Mike Shirley has now been in place for a couple of years. He's Colson Montgomery, he's Noah Schultz, and he's, uh, and he's the shortstop that they took. Oh, my Jacob Gonzalez, he's the shortstop that they took from um, Ole Miss. In addition to the White Sox targeting high-profile players from the Midwest during his tenure, they've prioritized pitching prospects with premium breaking stuff, drafted a lot of scrappy little college infielders in the middle rounds, and often found a way to mix huge framed power hitter in there somewhere. There has been no real pattern at the top of Chicago's last few drafts. Jacob Gonzalez is a model-friendly prospect because of his age and stats, while Montgomery, old for his class, and Schultz, a prep arm, were toolsy, projectable high schoolers. Schultz became the first high school arm the team had selected in the first round in over 20 years. The White Sox Pro Department got to target players via trade last summer, and again this offseason, Chicago has so far taken a quantity-first approach to the rebuild, perhaps more because this system is pretty thin, and they feel like it's a prudent way to get the ball rolling than than as a reflection of some long-term strategy overarching philosophy. A couple of things here in this Fangraphs piece I just read to you that really hit me, and then we'll get to the break and hear from John Schriffen, the new TV play-by-play guy for the White Sox. The retooling of the international market, Cuban versus Dominican prospects, and that kind of that's that's spurred a lot of conversation, and that's a very interesting thing to me. I also think that last little bit here, the idea that the White Sox pro department has targeted players via trade in order to kind of inject a little rocket fuel now, but that may not be the long term approach for this front office is a very interesting one. And industry-wide, it's something that I think you probably take a note of here in this Fangraphs piece that writes up the rest of the system. That ability to be able to kind of pivot some after this phase, however long that takes, is, is completed and you move on to the next is a very interesting thing, I think, as it regards Chris Getz, the White Sox front office, as it becomes whatever it's going to become. 312-332-3776, that's the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. We will hear from John Schriffen next on ESPN 1000. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Twitter at ESPN 1000. Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. 1000. 
McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. Might want to hold on to it for a little while. I'm going to play you an interview that happened uh, yesterday on ESPN 1000 on the Cap'n J. Hood Show. The brand new television play-by-play voice for the White Sox, John Schriffen, joined Jay Hood, and Courtney Cronin, who was in for Cap, who was vacationing, I believe, in the Seychelles or something like that. He's in the Greek Islands. He is somewhere in Florida, running for Mexican Parliament or something like that. Sure, I don't, yeah. un- undisclosed locations. <laughs> it's unclear. It might be in Osh Vegas too. I'm not sure. That's Oshkosh for those of you who don't know. Uh, but anyway, in for Cap was Courtney Cronin, and they had the conversation with John. Uh, we'll play it for you in just a second. I do also. Uh, Want to get to the Hall of Fame? We'll talk about Mark Burley a little bit. We'll talk about some um, some trade rumors. We'll talk about some moves the White Sox made here over the last little bit. John Brebbia's signing is official, and that means that a roster space needed to be cleared, and Romy Gonzalez has been designated for assignment. So he's got to clear waivers. He's exposed. He could go to the teams. He could also come back with the White Sox. If, there's, if that demand's not there, you could accept the assignment. So uh, that is out there, and stuff we'll get to on the other side. But here is the very first question asked by our very own Jay Hood. First and foremost, you mentioned in your hype video that you are a foodie. Uh, and you came to the right city, by the way. You came to the right city and the right team when it comes to food. Top three ballpark food for you. Go ahead. Ooh. Top three ball. Okay, you got to start with a hot dog, right? Like that's classic. Your summertime baseball, you got to get a hot dog. Um, nachos for sure. Nachos, and then like, but not jalapenos. I don't do spicy stuff, so I don't want like crazy like hot things on on the hot nachos. But I want like something like legit. Uh, and then also sushi. Like, believe it or not, sushi has become like ballpark food now. It's uh, it's, it's kind of like one of the things I look out for when I go to the ballpark. It's, uh, you know, kind of light, not kind of crazy, but, yeah, hot dog, nacho, sushi. Now, he's at the right ballpark, as you well know, Courtney, being at guaranteed rate. I mean, there's, I mean some of the best food of all bar, ballparks mm-hmm. across uh, the nation. So the, as you broadcast, wafting through the air will be beef sandwiches. It will be you know, hot dogs. It will be all type of fare. You, do, you know this. It's going to be great. Do they have sushi down there? I I've never had sushi. The only place, John, I've had sushi at a ballpark was out in San Francisco. But, I mean, I guess that's what you expect being in a fantastic multicultural food city like San Francisco. But I, I, I don't know. Do they have it at guaranteed rate? Not sure. I don't know that they do. But I correct. The, the place that I did have sushi was in San Francisco. Oh, that'll work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So just so you know. You know they're going to be bringing you food while you broadcast, right? This is going to happen. Like, every third inning, the chefs are going to bring you food. So good luck on that play-by-play. You'll be stuck with food the entire time. I'm just telling you, it's going to be great. Oh, I'm not mad at that. I yeah. mean, bring, bring everything. I'm going to try all the food in the ballpark. I'm looking forward to it. So I read the article in the Sun-Times. says you're not from Chicago, but you're here to embrace the city. Can you give us a little bit of your background? I know the path that you got to getting this job. You've done work for ESPN before. How, how do you plan to ingratiate yourself in this city, but also with this fan base? Yeah, so I was born and raised in New York City, uh, and baseball has always been my first love. Uh, I grew up playing the game. You know, as a kid, I always dreamed of getting to the show, right? Getting to the big leagues, and I thought I was going to be a pitcher. The fact that I was able to transition into becoming a broadcaster 
and realizing that being a broadcaster was the closest I was ever going to be to the game again. To get here as uh, a broadcaster to the major leagues is just, it's surreal, right? It's just unreal. Um, but I know that I don't know Chicago and I don't want to fake and pretend like I'm a native Chicago person. So I want to get to know the city, right? Like I want to find a place soon. I want to move to the city and I want to get to know the neighborhoods and walk around and explore and find restaurants and find dog parks and just get to know people. And you know, what's the coolest thing is Chicago White Sox fans are awesome. Like already so many fans have reached out to me like, Hey, here's my favorite spot. You got to go to here. You got to go to here. And, and like literally the last 24 hours has been bonkers. The amount of text, phone calls, social media, people reaching out. It's been incredible. And the, the support I've gotten so far from Chicago, Chicago White Sox fans has been great. So thank you so much to everybody who's reached out already. I, I feel welcome. Uh, the new play-by-play voice for the Chicago White Sox is John Schriffen. He joins us on Cap'n J. Hood on ESPN 1000. John, uh, you got a chance to meet Steve Stone and, of course, uh, Jerry Reinsdorf. What was it like meeting uh, Stone, who's been uh, in the city as a Cubs broadcaster, White Sox broadcaster for a long time, and, of course, Jerry Reinsdorf? Okay, so let me start with Jerry, um, because Jerry is probably one of the most amazing people I've ever met in my life. He is the sharpest person I've ever met in terms of just intelligence and memory. I mean, so we had a conversation, and, and his love of baseball just comes across as soon as you meet him. Um, and we talked about what it was like him being in the stands as a kid watching Jackie Robinson play in Ebbets Field for the Dodgers. And I was just in awe. Like, my mouth hit the floor of just the vivid memory he had and just recalling the details of the game and of the day. And he loves baseball. And I think that's the first thing you look for in an owner when you want to work for someone is just how passionate they are for the game and just the team that they own. Um, and another thing that I don't know if people talk about enough about Jerry that comes across is just his passion for diversity, right? Like the, the outreach efforts he has had with the club into the community. And getting this job, I'm now just the second black TV play-by-play in Major League Baseball along with Dave Sims for the Seattle Mariners. So I don't take that lightly. And that was something that was big for Jerry. Jerry wants to make sure that baseball is accessible to everyone in the community and everyone feels welcome at the ballpark. And to have an African-American play-by-play voice for his team, it was a big deal. And that meant a lot to me. Um, meeting with Stoney was just awesome. I mean, everybody knows, like, Stoney's the man, right? And we were only supposed to meet for maybe like an hour uh, dinner. And Jerry actually told me to get in his car, and he drove me over to the, to the dinner spot. It turned into a three-hour dinner with Steve Stone. I mean, he has so many incredible stories, all the experience he's done. I mean, being one of the best pitchers in baseball of all time, then being one of the best broadcasters of all time. And he's just so down-to-earth and humble. And, you know, after that dinner, we've kept in touch every single day, and, and he's like, I'm rooting for you. I'm rooting for you. You know, I hope you get this job. And we just hit it off. And it's like I just cannot wait to start broadcasting with Steve because – I just know we're going to hit the ground running just because he's a good dude. John, you mentioned being a man of color in this position, calling Major League Baseball. What does this position in history mean to you personally? Whew, man. I mean, that's, it's, it, it means a lot. I mean, let me, I'll just give you more of my background. So I'm biracial. Uh, my dad's white. My mom's black. And so I grew up in New York City in the 80s, early 90s. And it was still a time when I, I remember go, walking around the city with my parents and even if it was separately with my mom or my dad, and I would get looks. You know, it was, it was uncomfortable. Like, you know, if I was with my dad, there'd be like 
10 cabs that would stop and like break their neck to try to pull, pull over to pick him up. And then I'm with my mom. I, we couldn't get a cab for a half hour, an hour. So like it was as a young kid, I could recognize the racial divide and it was not easy. But for me, when I played baseball growing up, it was like nobody saw color. I was just one of the guys and nobody cared what I looked like as long as I could play. And that has always stuck with me my entire life, that baseball is a game that accepts everyone. And I want people to feel that, you know, that love, the next generation, that baseball is for everyone. And I know the number of African-American born players has dwindled over the years. And I hope that we continue to uh, reach out to everyone in the community to make sure that baseball is a game that is incredible. I mean, and especially in the city of Chicago, think about it. There is no better city in the summer than Chicago. And then to come to the ballpark, to see the White Sox, one of the best stadiums, all the seats are so intimate. I just want everyone in Chicago to feel like they can come to the game. And I I want to get involved in in community outreach efforts. I want to make sure kids know that. I want to bring people into the booth. I want to make sure that people know that baseball is for everyone. What's Korea like? Um, I know that you called some games in the Korean baseball organization. I was trying to find their schedule and trying to find more about it, but apparently South Korea blocked my geolocation on my computer. So I don't have any of that information in front of me right now. Um, but how long were you over there doing that? And you know, natural like language barrier, I assume. Are you, are you fluent in other languages? No. Okay, so here, so here's the story on, on the KBO, Korean baseball organization. So it was 2020. I was hired by ESPN. And it was during the pandemic. There were no sports airing in the United States because naturally everything was shut down. The only thing that was still going, or one of the only things that was still going, was was Korean baseball. So we didn't actually travel over there. We were one of the first group of people to call baseball games from home. And I was living in Los Angeles at the time. It's maybe 1 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning, first pitch. And we're broadcasting from home off of an iPad. And this was like early, early technology. So it hadn't even really been tested yet. We were like the first group to really test the technology. And we were just, I mean, literally broadcasting the game from an iPad. And we didn't, our producers didn't have control of the feed. So it was the Korean feed, the, the, all the language that would come up would be Korean characters. And we just had to describe what we saw and learn on the fly these players that we had no idea about but we would bring on guests from who knew Korean baseball, and we just introduced this to a, a, new, a new audience um, in the United States. And it actually got like a cult following because people got started betting on it. People were waking up early to watch these games. Um, and I realized the quality of baseball in the KBO is incredible. And there are some players every single year who will make the transition from the KBO to Major League Baseball and will have a ton of success just because baseball is so great around the world. Uh, John Schriffen is with us here on the Cap and J Hood Morning Show. Courtney's in for Cap, the news voice of the Chicago White Sox. Uh, so, John, as you well know, there's always ups and downs in every baseball season. It was tough last year. I just need to know that you're going to be around through the, the good and the bad for the White Sox. Have you gotten your schedule out yet? Because on some of those lean times, I'm going to need your voice to keep me, keep me company. Because the ball club is going through changes. It's a little bit of a transition. How often can, can we hear you this uh, upcoming season? I'm going to need you. Oh, I, I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm going to bring the energy. I'm going to bring the passion. I'm going to be there. I have committed to Jerry, to the team, that I'm going to be here for the majority of the season. 
Um, and, you know, I said yesterday it has been a, a wild 24 hours since getting announced. One of the calls that I got was from manager, Pedro Grafal. And, and when Pedro called me, A, it meant the world to me just to feel like the manager of the White Sox wants me to be a part of this team. And he was so excited. He goes, I listened to your stuff. You know, you're incredible. I can't wait. You're the addition that you're going to bring. The energy is going to be awesome for us. Um, but even just to hear his passion and just to talk about the improvements that have been made with this team and how he's building this culture and how excited he is and the guys are for the team, that got me amped up. So, uh, you know, I never, everyone says it's going to be a grind. It's going to be a long season. I am excited for what is coming up because I think it now, as a broadcaster, I get the chance to be with the team for the long haul, to see the ups and the downs and to see how this team has developed over the course of the season. Um, and that's why I can't wait to get to spring training. Like, I cannot wait to meet all the new faces, get to meet all the guys, get to meet all the t- everybody on the team. Because um, I think there's a chance that this team can be fun and exciting to watch this season because there is so much energy and passion, and Pedro has these guys knowing that they're going to be playing hard this season. So a natural progression for someone who is a Major League Baseball announcer is that they at one point covered politics on Capitol Hill and with the White House. Um, Which administration (laughs) did you cover, and what was that like? So I, um, one of my first jobs in TV, I started in New York City, and then my next job was in Washington, D.C., so I was uh, lucky enough to cover the Obama administration, um, covering Capitol Hill and covering the White House. Uh, but I will say politics is probably one of the reasons why I got out of news. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, and transitioning back into sports is because I like happy things. I like fun things. I like things that take us away from all the craziness that is life, right? Like when I broadcast a game and I'm in the booth, it is my happy place. It is my zone where nothing else in the world matters. And when I broadcast, I hope I can provide that fun for everyone at home or wherever it is that they're watching. Because, you know, politics can get crazy, right? Yeah. World can get crazy. We all have problems. We have a job. We have life. Things are just happening. But when we're watching sports and when we're watching baseball, we shouldn't have to worry about that stuff. And I think that's what I try to bring, just some levity to the world and, some le- and, and just talking with Stoney and just be able to have fun in the booth. And that's what I hope to bring to people. Well, a word of advice, just when you come here, um, just if you, if you want to make sure that you can keep your sanity, I know that you're going to be so busy trying to like learn the White Sox and everything else, just, just don't dabble in the Justin Fields or Caleb Williams debate <laughs> that happens on social media. Like, Do yourself a favor yes. and save those extra brain cells you have yeah. for a very long MLB season and stay away from that part. That's like when we talk about toxicity and like politics and trying to get away from that and having, you know, fun co- doing our jobs as sports people. That's the unfun part of it in this city. <laughs> Just a word of <laughs> advice you know, from someone who deals with say, it every though. day. Yeah, here's Clint, what I will say. Yes. What is awesome about Chicago is the fact that the fans even care that much. Right? Like the fact that the fans are so passionate. They want to know what you guys are saying all the time. They want to have your opinions because we even with, with, with the White Sox, right? Fans mm-hmm. want to know what's going on in the minor league system. They want to know who's getting developed, who could potentially get drafted, and all these. Like that's the exciting part is that there is so much interest in Chicago because these are some of the best fans in the world. John, congratulations on the job, the voice of the Chicago White Sox, and we hope they get a chance to see you at the ballpark and uh, uh, look forward to spring training. Let's see what happens this season. First year on the job should be fun. I can't wait. Thanks for having me on. 
It's John Schriffen, the new TV play-by-play man for the Chicago White Sox. I like Courtney Corona getting real real about things just at the end there. I, just, I, I love that. She's fantastic. And just like, hey, hey. I can get real every once in a while. Just be careful of the real real. Uh, I get you. All right. It was a good interview. Love that. Looking forward to meeting John. Um, and wanted to also, like, if you're interested, like, if you're real interested, Sox fans, after White Sox Weekly is over, he's calling BYU and Texas right now, which is, Jack, I don't know if you have the, the website. I, I think it's an ESPN. Yeah, it's an ESPN broadcast. Uh, BYU and Texas is on right now. And I was scrolling through Twitter. Apparently... So John's having to broadcast this right now. Apparently, the BYU student section had all shown up in the front row with uh, horns down painted on the T-shirts. You know, because it's hook them horns for the Texas Longhorns, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's horns down, yep. and that's, you know, or break them off, saw them off. You know, that's kind of the thing. And I, I can't remember. Wasn't it, was it this last year where the Texas football head coach got real upset and chesty about opposing fans right. saying horns down? Some of the down? players, too. I, they don't like that. It's that like, really offends them. My cousin went to Texas, right? Mm-hmm. He's a Longhorn for life and the whole thing. And Pete, I mean, my God, he loves the Longhorns. He, I mean, he, it's a true love that he has for this college football team. And I look him straight in the face and go, horns down all the time. And he's like, it, his cousin went to, or his sister went to A&M. Like, it's, you can take it. I can hear it out loud. If you'd like to walk up and say the Badgers suck, I'll probably say, yeah, we could really use a quarterback. Like, I don't, it's horns down. Like, everybody, it's fine. You can get over it. It's going to be great. But anyway, John's got that thing going on right now. BYU in Texas. We'll have him on the show soon. White Sox Weekly returns with a little Hall of Fame conversation, a little Mark Burley talk. We come back on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. On app. The ESPN Chicago app. In HD. FM 100.3 HD2. And of course on AM. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. It is White Sox Weekly. We just heard from the new White Sox television play-by-play man, John Schriffen. He was on with uh, Cap and Jay Hood, Courtney Cronin filling in for Cap yesterday put that interview for you and if you missed it you can download the espn chicago app each and every one of our shows is downloadable for listening at your leisure you can take uh take a gander through all the old shows and all of the new ones to come uh we appreciate you doing that appreciate you listening here 312-332-3776 that's the phone number here on the show you want to talk a little white Sox? i want to talk a little hall of fame uh we had a brand new hall of fame class inducted this past tuesday and it was Joe Maurer and Todd Helton and Adrian Beltre going in uh, into the Hall of Fame class. Uh, Well-deserved for all of them, I think. Um, there are interesting stories around each one of them. You know, Third base is the most underrepresented position in baseball's Hall of Fame, so it was very easy to see Adrian Beltre's career over the last you know, three, four seasons of, of his that he played, and you could very quickly go, yeah, that's... That dude's a Hall of Famer. I mean, not just for the glove and not just... I mean, he could do it all. Uh, And say for four years in Seattle that weren't great but only okay, he was an absolutely terrific player, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Joe Maurer makes the Hall of Fame. And listen, I I get it. Joe, Joe took a lot of things away from White Sox fans over the course of his career. But he's a player that I... There are guys that you hate for all the right reasons. And I think even in the heart of hearts of White Sox fans, I think we can look at Joe Maurer and go, 
Yeah, right. You're a Hall of Famer. Uh, you're a Hall of Famer, and and he absolutely is. I Joe is an interesting guy in the in in regards to the Baseball Hall of Fame to me because he is one of a couple that fit the same kind of conversation. Joe, it was said about Joe Maurer while he was in Minnesota. It was said about Joey Votto while he was in Cincinnati. It was said a generation before that about Wade Boggs um, when he played in Boston specifically and other places too. But he was one of those guys, Maurer, Boggs, uh, Votto, that was criticized some for having too high a batting average or too high an on-base percentage or too discerning an eye at the plate and not driving in enough runs, not slugging enough home runs because of the supreme bat-to-ball skills that they had and the power that each of them had as well. And I, that's always been an interesting perspective, I guess, on greats, on Hall of Famers. And I just, it's, it's a thing that I've screamed about before, you know, in arguments down sitting on the bar stool, something like that, with, with people, ah, oh, he needs to swing more, he's got to hit more homers, he's got to drive more. No, he's on base. He's on base, he's on base, he's on base, he's not out. That was a big part of Joe Maurer's game. Uh, also, Todd Helton in the Hall of Fame. We talked a lot about Todd Helton last season, um, last offseason, I should say, when he did not make the Hall. I think holding, playing in Coors Field against Todd Helton is a crime. It's unfathomable. He didn't choose to get drafted by the Rock. He didn't choose to go to the Rock. He chose to stay, sure. Um, but I don't like the idea of holding that against a ball player, much like a lot of other things can be held against ball players. It is the era in which he played. It is the ballpark in which he played. We didn't do that with dead ball era players. Or if we did, we understood it and then voted them in relative to the rest of their peers. Everybody, I, it sticks in my craw. Mark Burley is still on the ballot. He got 8.5%, dropped a couple of votes from last year to this year, but he got the five he needed to be on the ballot. Brian Kenny of MLB Network made an impassioned plea for Burley. Here it is. Some Cooperstown justice. For 15 years, Mark Burley averaged 215 innings a season and had 30 or more starts each and every year. He fell fewer than two innings shy of having 200 innings for each and every one of those 15 years. So we just need to think about how valuable that is. Before we go into the normal methodology and I talk war and ERA plus and everything else, think of running a franchise and in an offensive era, big hitting era, getting a pitcher who gives you 30 starts a year for 15 straight years. Real world thinking now. That's a foundation player. Let's be as fair as possible. Most of the starters most recently inducted into the hall, Randy Johnson, Greg Maddox, John Smoltz, Tom Glavin, all debuted in the 80s. Pedro debuted in 1992. Mark Burley, he debuted in 2000. It's a very different era. Run scoring is higher. PEDs all around. Bullpen starting to take over. Tough time to be a starting pitcher. So let's focus on Burley's actual colleagues. Here are the war leaders for pitchers who debuted in 1995 or later. Justin Verlander, Zach Greinke, Clayton Kershaw, all three should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, even Greinke. Roy Halladay is already in. Then you have a group that's right in that same neighborhood, right? Together. CeCe Sabathia, Andy Pettit, Mark Burley, right around 60 war. Max Scherzer, Cole Hamels are still active, still building their cases. But realize, Sabathia, Pettit, Burley. They are the next tier down, but adjacent to the surefire Hall of Famers. So maybe you draw your Hall of Fame line above them. Maybe, though, it should be just below them. Moving forward, throwing 200 innings, 
for 15 straight years is going to sound crazy, like it's Old Hoss Radburn or something. But Burley just, just did it. So let's go to run prevention. I'm again using pitchers who debuted in the wild card era, 1995 or later, and no active pitchers since ERA Plus will drop in the decline phase of a career. Johan Santana is number one. Halliday is two. Roy Oswalt is third. Santana and Oswalt have already fallen off the Hall of Fame ballot with fewer than 5% of the vote. That's unfair to both of them. They didn't pitch in the 1970s. They pitched in the 2000s. It's very different. By the way, Tim Hudson is on the leaderboard. He makes his debut on the Hall of Fame ballot this year. He was an excellent pitcher. He's ahead of Burley. And once again, there's that group, and you can see it. Pettit, Burley, Sabathia. Felix Hernandez, by the way, not officially retired. He's not on this list, but he's right there with them at 117. So they're all there with, I'm just going to throw this in, Cliff Lee and Chris Carpenter, right? Lee and Carpenter, think about it. Those were not small-time guys. They were big-time players. So what am I saying? I'm saying, if you're not honoring the guys with the high peak, and they're not, Johan, Oswalt, Lee, and Carpenter, and you're also not honoring the guys with longevity, with durability, like Burley, Sabathia, and Pettit, then you're not honoring many pitchers. Kershaw, Verlander, they're above the line. That's obvious. But it is already time to rethink the standards for pitchers. 300 wins isn't happening anymore. Now, I'm not saying it's clear-cut. Burley, though, was top 10 in ERA Plus five times in his career. Top 10 in pitcher war six times. Those are good numbers, but they're not legendary. He pitched well in the 2005 postseason when the White Sox won the World Series. He started Game 2 in the World Series, got the last out in Game 3 of the World Series, coming out of the bullpen to close out the 14th inning against the Astros. And every year, the White Sox got a good 30 to 35 starts of a pretty good ERA most years out of Mark Burley. That's Brian Kenny on MLB Network. Uh, memorize the lyrics to that song. It's a good one. Just a quick story to go along. I remember as a young baseball reporter covering a White Sox game when Ozzie Guillen was the manager and Mark Burley was still on that team. And down in the dugout, I know I've told this story before, and I'm going to tell it every year, I think, in the offseason until Burley makes the Hall of Fame, which, Lord willing, is relatively soon. I remember Ozzy, the, the session had ended, the recorders were down, and then Ozzy just kind of says off the cuff, Mark Burley's going to be a Hall of Fame. And then everybody goes, what? And everybody brings the recorders back up and goes, can you run that by us one more time? And Ozzy, right, this is 15 years ago, Ozzy does the same thing that Brian Kenny just did for you there, you know, without a lot of, you know, because he didn't have the, the spreadsheets and the, everything else in front of him, nor should he have. But he made the same case for Mark Burley then that Brian Kenny just did on MLB Network. And I remember thinking in that moment how cool it was to have my mind changed by a guy who knew baseball better than I was. And to be honest with you, that's when I got real hooked on covering this game. I, I think that was a really big moment for how I kind of think about baseball. So thanks to Ozzy and thanks to Mark Burley for that. We'll be back to wrap up White Sox Weekly in just a minute on ESPN 1000.